Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, proud member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. We've touched on it in recent episodes, but today we dive deep into the metaverse, or at least the kind of but not really metaverse that exists today. But don't worry if that doesn't make sense, because today's guest is about to explain it all for you. Jason Veliquette, head of digital for R3, has been helping brands enter brave new worlds his entire career, and presently his sights are set squarely on the metaverse. We talked about what a real metaverse will look like in the future, and discussed what brands can do now to prepare for a virtualized tomorrow. No headset necessary, yet. Let's start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back at the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast Virtual Studio with uh, my man, Jason Bellicette, Executive Vice President of Digital at R3. Jason, thank you for stopping by the virtual studio. Yes, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I would love if I could just hire you to follow me around and introduce me to crowds and, and client meetings with that enthusiasm. I really love that intro. Just check me out on Fiverr. I do run pretty expensive. <laughs> there you go. So we've touched and dabbled a little bit on the metaverse on the podcast in the past month or two, but we're going, we're going deep dive. Uh, but before we do that, I want to make sure everybody's got a bit of a baseline on you, Jason. So if you wouldn't mind, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to become the EVP of digital for our good friends at R3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to, love to. So I've been in digital marketing for a little over about 13 years now, I believe. Um, I've worked on both sides of the industry. I've been both client side and agency side. Um, but I, I really got my start at smaller, like digital pure play shops. Uh, working the agency side. And that's where I spent the most of my career. But um, because of that, I've always been very entrenched in all things digital marketing. Uh, really kind of uh, created for my first agency role, created their SEO and social media marketing uh, offering for them. I've done a lot of website design and builds. Um, so I've always kind of come to the table with a very consumer-centric style of thinking when it comes to marketing activations. As time progressed, I eventually found my way over to Publicist Group, uh, and through uh, several different iterations of being with them, uh, I spent uh, seven year, almost seven years with them overseeing P&G's digital ecosystem. And I was covering nine categories, I think, which was inclusive of 27 different brands. I spent a lot of time in their oral care brands, uh, specifically Crest and Oral-B. But my role within that organization was, one, to work very closely with our initiative teams, helping to bring the big campaign ideas to life across all paid channels, right? So whether this is online video, display, social, et cetera, et cetera. But I also co-led a team that was responsible for our always-on digital executions. Mm. So this was everything from search, site, e-commerce. We also built um, the ECRM program and consumer data strategy programs. Uh, I was responsible for the development of our digital channel strategy playbooks and POVs on emerging tech and innovation. Uh, and then I also served as the agency spot for all of our various digital platform partners. So the Facebooks, Amazons, Googles of the world, making sure that we brought in those different uh, technologists to come in and, and bring our internal teams up to speed. So we're always bringing the best forward for our clients at P&G. And while that run with Publicist Group was a, a very exciting and enriching experience, um, I definitely needed to spread my wings. And so that ultimately led me to R3, where I've been with them now, as you said, as the EVP of digital for just a little bit over a, a, a year now. And I, along with a collection of super smart and savvy consultants, help Fortune 500 brands now find and optimize their agency ecosystems, as well as I oversee the firm's digital strategy consulting services. And that can be everything from... Um, digital performance auditing and competitive benchmarking. We also do a lot of bespoke category and consumer research in the digital space and, and run various smart tech evaluations as well. So yeah, yeah, just a, just a thing or two. Um, no, I love, I love having guests on that have a, a really well-rounded background because I feel like so often clearing those bridges between the, the big parts of the advertising ecosystem is where so many things trip up. And so to have that POV kind of 360, that's just great. And just happy to have you on board. Now, as you just mentioned, You've been doing a lot of things. You've been helping brands in a lot of ways throughout your career. You've helped them navigate emerging technologies, product innovations, consumers' digital behaviors. So what, in your opinion, is the right mindset marketers should adopt to avoid getting distracted by the latest shiny object? We're on shiny object duty over here in Marketing Futures. So what, what advice do you have for marketers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, we, we all get excited about the latest innovations, right? And the, and the latest changes or evolutions that are happening in this space. And so I get it. And, and marketers have a really difficult job of 
or challenge of figuring out the right levers to push and pull to continuously grow their brands, right? It's a balancing act um, between continuing to support those foundational or fundamental elements that are sustaining the brand while also attempting to unlock any new activities or channels or opportunities that will give them ultimately a competitive edge right in this space and will ultimately fuel growth as well. So when looking for that edge, it can be really easy to get distracted by that latest shiny object or stunt or newest technology. Um, and it's easy to get enamored by all these tactics and lose focus on your core objectives, right? But at the end of the day, every smart marketer really needs to understand what it is that they're trying to achieve and, and what they um, need to push for. Oftentimes, well, occasionally it is just, hey, they themselves are interested in what's happening over there. But I also have seen the worst case scenario where it's more of a top-down directive, right? Where it's, hey, we need to go develop a blank technology strategy. My kids on TikTok. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And, and look, you know, sometimes that happens internally where it's, hey, my boss is asking me to do this and now I've got to go figure it out. But oftentimes it's also from the client to the agency right? Where they'll come to you and be like, hey, Jason, I just read an article about uh, mixed reality. Now I need you to go develop me a Pokemon Go strategy, which legit someone asked me of that uh, a goodness. while back. Um, and, and you just can't lead with technology as, as like the cornerstone of your strategy, right? Like um, the truth is, is you're rarely going to win if that's how you approach these types of problems. So instead you have to have a really firm understanding of what the core business problem is and, or what that consumer tension is that you're trying to solve for. And then you have to build a strategy around that objective, a strategy that is supported or enabled, if you will, by the technology itself, not driven by it. And so sometimes you end up discovering that, you know, you might already have the tools or the partners, or the platforms that can help you achieve your objective, and you don't necessarily need to go down that rabbit hole. So it's kind of a give and take, right? Like I definitely encourage marketers to constantly be curious, constantly be checking out what's happening in the rest of the world, watching their competitors, watching other best in class brands. But at the end of the day, um, you have to understand what you're trying to solve for and what you're trying to achieve. And then it's just a matter of, can this latest technology or innovation help support that overall objective? So my advice is really, I think the core thing that I would recommend is be proactive about what your brand's approach to innovation itself is, right? Before we even talk technology, how are you running your organization? How are you running your team? What are you pushing them on? What is your approach to innovation? And I bet if I asked you know, 100 marketers out there, only a handful would say, hell, we have a proactive uh, approach to, to, to innovation. Um, so to have that intentional strategy, you know, it needs to be centered around how do you research and vet and validate these strategic opportunities? How do you set up meaningful experiments, test and learns and pilot programs? And then probably most importantly, how do you measure success? How do you prove out your ROI to your internal teams and to your bosses? And then if it does work, how do you scale those opportunities and integrate new ways of working or new channels or new strategies into your ongoing marketing efforts, right? So if you take the moment now to stop and think about, hey, innovation is always going to be coming to me. New technologies are always going to be arising. I need to proactively put together a game plan within my organization to approach these things. Then you don't get tripped up as much by saying, oh, look, smart speakers or blockchain or crypto. And instead, you get you can be a lot more thoughtful and intentional about how you approach these technologies when they arise. Yeah. And I think that that's something we've been preaching here at uh, ANA Marketing Futures for years now. So amen, brother. And, and one of the things we try to provide is that top level of trend education. Yes. Yeah. You should probably be able to describe what a blockchain is in lay terms, and but that's it. You're good. At this moment right now, if you are a marketer, if you are a particularly a brand marketer, if you kind of get that decentralized, it's going to help us make things more secure, yep. puts the power to the people, that you're good. Now go back and see what are the biggest problems facing your brand. And yeah, it's absolutely that. Start with the challenges. Start that the real work needs to be done and see if there's an innovative way to get it done. Exactly, exactly. Yes. So uh, Jason and I had spoken uh, previously, we've chatted in the past, and he told me he is an absolute metaverse expert. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, actually, Jason, what did you tell me about experts? Yeah, no, I, I actually told you the exact opposite, that if anybody <laughs> tells you that they're a metaverse expert, they're full of <laughs> um, and, and you know, it's, it's really simple. There are so many different ways to define what the metaverse is. 
And knowing that it's so far out in the, in the future, we have to be careful because there are so many building blocks that go into this, right? Whether it's the actual physical hardware that goes into it, the, the bandwidth, uh, the computing power, brands and, and companies need to build the platforms that we're going to be playing in. There needs to be interchange protocols that allow these different worlds to coexist. There's so many aspects that go into this, right? The blockchain technology, the decentralization, as you just mentioned. No one person can fully wrap their head around any and all of this at the same time. So we're all just a collection of quasi-experts in this space mm -hmm. or in each little corner of it trying to figure this out, right? What I think I bring to the table uh, today and hopefully as part of this conversation is that, um, hey, from the marketer's perspective, from that high-level perspective, and maybe more importantly, from the consumer's perspective, what are the opportunities for brands to play in this space? And how can we leverage these technologies to better reach and engage our consumers in a meaningful way that's going to drive growth for our brands? Yeah. And that is the name of the game. I mean, yeah. I feel like this is going to be, and I don't want to get it too far ahead of our conversation. I feel like a lot of the highs and lows of social media are about to represent on a, a scale that's just absolutely unfathomable at this time. Mm -hmm. But you touched on it a little bit. So right now, where are we in the metaverse phase? And what is that idyllic vision? What really is we when the when the metaverse is whole and true? What yeah. does that what are the theories of what that's going to be like? Yeah, I like the way you phrase the question because I, it's a journey, right? And it's a constant evolution, right? There is there is no distinct starting point, there is no distinct end point. But uh, I do often like to talk about the true metaverse versus the metaverse that we have today, right? And, mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. true metaverse being that lighthouse vision far in the distance, right? Far off in the future. And the easiest and most common example that you hear so many people talk about when they're when they're talking about the true metaverse is this vision of like what we saw in the movie Ready Player One. Right, It's this fully immersive world where everyone's logged in and there's interconnected IP everywhere and it's just a common way of life. Right, like That's where you spend all of your free time and all your working hours is fully immersed in this thing. Um, so this true metaverse and what possibilities it can unlock for companies and their brands are what most folks are talking about and, and what they're really excited about. Right, And because we're still a ways off of achieving this kind of digital utopia, it's tough to agree on a single definition of what the true metaverse is. But of all the various ways I've heard it described, I think I really like um, the definition that was provided by venture capitalist and technologist Matthew Ball, who defined it as the following. And I'm, I'm actually going to break up his definition with a few kind of just explanatory notes as well. So he, he defines the metaverse as a massively scaled and interoperable network of real-time rendered 3D virtual worlds, which can be experienced synchronously and persistently by an effectively unlimited number of users. And let me pause right there. So massively scaled and interoperable, interoperable network, right? So huge virtual platforms and all interconnected, right? Today, what we have are closed ecosystems. Roblox is separate than Minecraft. Minecraft is separate than Decentraland, which is separate from the sandbox, right? All of these individual worlds kind of exist on their own, but the true metaverse will have ways for everybody to be connected, right? Now we need the right interchange protocols and standardizations to be able to allow that to happen, but blockchain technology is starting to fuel that and we're starting to see some of that come to life. The next piece of this is, is real-time rendered 3D virtual worlds. Uh, the real-time rendering is really important because this environment needs to exist persistently and, and synchronously, meaning that there is no single player version of this. It is a new world. It is a new dimension where all users can come in and out of it at any point in time, but it is a constantly evolving functional world that is continuing to persist even whether or not you're in the experience itself. Um, it needs to be able to be accessed by an effectively unlimited number of users. Right now, um, when we look at gaming platforms like Fortnite, just for example, in the Battle Royale, they limit it to 100 players. And part of the reason why is computing power and bandwidth. If you're creating these huge, massive virtual worlds where every person's action impacts every other person, imagine scaling that from 100 people to 7 billion people. I mean, you've got to have some insane technology and, and power behind your um, software and your bandwidth in order to be able to pull that off. So that's that's those are some of the technological barriers that are holding us back from that true vision of the, of the, the metaverse. Now, the second part of his definition um, is that with these users, there is a continuity of data, such as identity, history, entitlements, objects, communications, and payments. And what we mean by that is essentially allowing the individual to have a full sense of self and all of their properties within the metaverse and be able to own that data themselves and take that with them wherever they exist in, in, um, in this new version of the metaverse. 
Now, one way we're starting to see that come to life is through the use of crypto wallets, right? There are various uh, brands out there that have, but uh, I, I personally, I'm on MetaMask, right? Like that's the, mm -hmm. the crypto wallet that I have. Now that's, that allows me to store whatever digital identity or, or data that I would want within that wallet. That can be you know, what I look like in Decentraland, that could be the NFTs that I carry or the uh, virtual uh, fashion that I wear, right? And the idea is that by centralizing that with the user versus the platform is that then I can take my goods, my objects, my communications, my history with me to other virtual worlds, right? Another way to think about it and maybe in a little bit simpler fashion is right now today, how many of us have password managers because we have how many usernames and logins and, and passwords for every platform out there, right? Whether it's Facebook, mm -hmm. Instagram, Pinterest, our work portal, whatever it is. Now imagine you just had a single sign-on and that was all through your crypto wallet. And it was just one entity, one um, login that you had to manage that allowed you entry into all these different experiences, right? So it's now centralizing around you, the user, versus having the platform be at the center of the experience. So that is kind of what we're talking about when we talk about like this true metaverse. Now, unfortunately, today's technology isn't quite advanced enough to give us that kind of idyllic vision of what the future of the internet will be. But the, the building blocks are being developed today and they'll, they'll get there, right? I mentioned a few of them before. Mm -hmm. There's the physical hardware and interfaces, the computing power needs to get stronger, networks need to get faster. Uh, we need those interchange tools and protocols that will allow us to transverse the various worlds. But what's key for marketers today, however, is to really understand and plan for that glide path. I mentioned this earlier. We're on an evolution. We're on a journey from where we're at today to this idyllic vision, this true metaverse. And there are going to be many phases, many seasons or waves or evolutions that occur between here and now. And so it's up to the marketers to understand where they want to start to play in this space or how they want to start mm -hmm. to engage or at what level they want to start to participate with these various technologies so that they can reach consumers in new and exciting ways. So what does that really look like in today's environment then? You know, there's a lot of different ways you can describe this, but most of the activations that we're seeing are occurring in various gaming platforms, virtual worlds, virtual rooms, or even AR layers. And I want to, I want to stop there for a second and just talk about that. A lot of times when we talk about the metaverse, we seem to think that it's only this 3D virtual environment. And I think we need to expand our idea of what it can be beyond that. It can be not only a fully immersive 3D world, but it can also be access versus your 2D devices, whether that's your laptop, your mobile device. And I think what's going to be also exciting is the AR layer that will continue to mm -hmm. come to life, allowing us to coexist in both the physical world as well as the virtual world at the same time and be able to access both experiences seamlessly. Right. So I know Google Glass had its quote unquote massive failure, but it was really the first shot at it, the first stab at it. And we're seeing more and more of these companies, whether it's Snap's goggles or Facebook's latest um, collaboration with Ray-Bans, we're going to see more of this technology continue to proliferate. We're going to see more digital experiences start to be layered into the real world as well. And I think that's going to be a fascinating aspect of the metaverse. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you look back at it and w what was one of the biggest hurdles of the Google Glass was consumer adoption. You just didn't make it look cool enough yep. for even the people who were going to be tech geeky about it to be like, no, no, I'm going to walk out and I don't care how many looks I get. I'm going to make yeah. this work. I don't think the metaverse is going to have that big, that challenge, because especially now you think Gen Z and younger, uh, the concept of a metaverse, you don't even have to explain to them. What if Fortnite was all reality? What if you could, what if <laughs> right. Fortnite, but for everything, uh, right. you know what I mean? And very easy. So it's e easy to see why the metaverse is right now, our version of it, uh, what it is at the moment is flourishing in spaces like gaming and entertainment, but for it to really start to get that cycle of growing and growing and, and, and taking in everything, uh, it's going to start to need to incorporate more consumer behaviors. Yeah. What are the consumer behaviors that you can see that are kind of just beyond this gaming and entertainment level? Where do you think the first yeah. expanse is going to come in? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. It's a bit it's a bit of a challenging one to answer because the the value that consumers are going to get out of it is really dependent on the value that brands create for the consumers in this space, right? Because it's not the metaverse doesn't naturally exist and brands need to figure out how to take advantage of it. Brands need to go build it. Right. And they need to they need to be the ones that are injecting the value into it. So, um, you know, 
consumers will be consumers. They're going to look for all of the things that make them happy and make their lives easier or more enriched, right? So it does start with gaming and entertainment because it provides fun in their lives, an escape, a, a, a way to immerse themselves, a way to challenge themselves, a, a way to connect with others. So those natural human behaviors are existing. Now it's up to brands to figure out how to continue to create these virtual experiences uh, or these augmented realities in order to better fulfill or provide those areas of opportunity for consumers to really expand. Um, but to, to give you a sense of what will win with consumers in this space and, and what brands can do for them, I kind of wrap around what I call the four I's, right? It's immersion, identity, interactivity, and interconnection. Immersion meaning full immersion within an experience, right? Yes, the 3D world certainly allows us to, to create these awesome, you know, spatial environments for me to explore and move around in and, and, and be around other individuals. But even going back to that AR layer in the real world, uh, I think a great example of that, by the way, is the movie Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. If you haven't seen it, mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this in-game character NPC comes to life and he puts on the glasses and there's all these like floating achievements and opportunities and things that he can access, right? Like I definitely see us kind of moving towards that, maybe not to that extreme, but it's that level of immersion that is going to be appealing to consumers. We have the real world. Now they're looking for some way to live extra within this virtual world. Then there's identity, right? And we talked a little bit about this before as well. Any brands that can help fuel and empower identity are going to win in this or have the potential to win within the meta. So fashion uh, companies or luxury brands who are able to create these uh, wearable NFTs or allow you to rock out punk, you know, pink punk hairstyles or, uh, you know, change yourself into a giant dragon instead of being a human within a metaverse world, right? Like all of those allow individuals to create a new sense of self and to express themselves in the way that they want to be um, seen and interacted with. So empowering identity is a big piece of it. Uh, interactivity is the third eye. Uh, we're here to, to participate. We're here to engage. We're here to, to spend time with each other and, and with brands and with experiences. So, um, you know, I, I've been talking about the metaverse for a while, and uh, there's a publication that I was speaking with a journalist, and he kind of misquoted me, and it was because he was asking me, you know, what will, what will marketers be able to do in the metaverse that's similar to what they can do in the real world? And I said, look, they can still take their 2D assets, and they can shove them into the metaverse and have billboards over there, just like display banners on your on your websites, but um, that's not gonna be enough, right? So we need to think about what is the real interactivity that's gonna exist in this space. I think another way to look at it is, what can you build in the metaverse that you can't build on your website, right? Like how do you give them an extra level of engagement that is more meaningful and deeper and more impactful in their own lives, as well as more impactful to your business? And thinking about ways to, to generate that level of engagement, I think, or interactivity is going to be really important. And then the last one is interconnection. This idea of real-time synchronous environments that allow us to connect with our friends and our colleagues and other people that carry similar interests as us is so important. The pandemic shut us all down. We're all locked inside. We didn't have as much of an opportunity to explore the world. The metaverse gives us a whole new realm to go and interact with indiv other individuals and to share our levels of interest or interactivity and to express ourselves with, right? So it's, it's no longer like visiting a website often is. It's no longer a single use engagement. Now it's much more about driving that community. So brands that understand those four pieces, immersion, identity, interactivity, and interconnection, I think are going to be the ones that have the most success in this space. You heard it, marketers. It's time to pause. It's time to run that back, get your notebooks out, and think about where your wheelhouse is. I mean, think about where the best value you could provide in one of them. Don't try to go for all four at the same time. Don't do it. Don't do it. Really consider what you are doing, what you are good at, where your wheelhouse is now, and how you can, as Jason said, add that extra dimension to what you're already doing, to what you're already known for, to what you're already good at. I think... So I'm guessing at this point, our listeners are chomping at the bit. They want in, they're ready to start building their little corner of the metaverse. Mm -hmm. So in this early phase, in this nascent phase of the metaverse and baby metaverse land, 
what are some of the early best practices? What have you seen that you think is going to resonate and work? And what are some things to avoid and look out for? Okay. Yeah. Great questions. Um, all right. So, and I, I mentioned this before, but first you have to have a rock solid understanding of what your business challenges are and what you're attempting to solve for, right? Um, let your marketing challenges lead your strategy, not the technology. So that's first yes. and foremost. Um, second, make sure you have the right team members in place. And they have to have the right mindsets as well to, to be a part of this task because it's, it's, uh, it's no easy journey that we're on, right? How many times have you seen a 30-second television commercial appear in your social feeds, right? Or that, or that full uh, TVC appear on a website and it's autoplay, right? Like, oh, and, man. And marketers are so keen often to repurpose assets because I know they're expensive to produce, um, but you have to understand the touch points and the consumer content consumption behaviors that exist in these different channels. And the same goes for the metaverse as well, right? So you need marketers that really understand that and can think with a consumer-centric lens to be able to appropriately build out these experiences in these new channels with these new technologies. And if you don't have the right team members, then you need to be hiring them or you need to be finding the right partners, but you need to kind of let go of the old way of thinking that this is, you know, all advertising is just push interruptive advertising because that won't fly in this space. You really have to draw consumers in. Um, and then I think the third kind of starting point for, for all marketers is um, you need to figure out what, your, what approach is going to be right for your brand and for your organization, right? Different brands behave differently when it comes to these types of tasks. So you need to understand, are you going to be reactive, strategic, or transformational in your approach to the metaphor? So by reactive, that means you're taking a much more cautious approach. You're going to sit back, you're going to watch your competitors, and you're going to learn from them. You're going to let them make the early investments and early mistakes before you venture out into unknown waters. Uh, and then you can learn from what they've achieved, and then you can start to go in and do it right from the beginning. Um, other brands are being strategic in their approach to it, right? They're being much more choiceful, but they're being intentional about proactively going out and finding those um, opportunities to experiment and uh, explore so that they can help kind of shape uh, what these you know, new opportunities are for the consumers. And then third, you can say, no, we're going to lead this. We're going to be transformational pioneers of the metaverse. And we see this with brands, sure, like Meta and Microsoft, who are taking the technology lead on it. But we're also seeing big brands like Nike and McDonald's and AB InBev, who are really saying, no, I'm going to take the opportunity to define, shape, and lead the future of marketing in the metaverse. So every marketer out there right now should be looking at their own internal organization and say, are we equipped uh, with the right mindsets, with the right people, with the right talent? And do we have the forethought enough to be able to devise strategies that are going to allow us to win in this space? Now, you also asked, what are some of the things that brands need to watch out for, right? Or, or avoid completely. Right, right. Um, so first and foremost, and I hinted at this earlier, don't assume that you can just slap together assets from other platforms and channels. Please don't right? do that. No, Please. no, no, no. Um, and just start broadcasting them into the metaverse and expect some sort of meaningful results. It, it just won't happen, right? Um, how brands come to life in this new dimension of the internet is going to require a lot of re-examining and reworking how you engage your consumers. I said this before, it's, it's a layer of engagement, right? Um, certainly consumers can engage with you in social. They can do it on your website. The metaverse has to bring them something new and you have to really know what that means and how to translate your brand into that space. You also have to understand the investments that are required, right? I've had many clients in the past who had a, a build it and they'll come mindset with other digital products, whether that was their websites or apps or you know, their e-retail presence or social platforms and, and they failed to maintain them. They failed to provide meaningful growth within those platforms. They failed to support them with traffic or nurture the communities that exist around them. So the metaverse is exactly the same in that you need to invest in it and continue to invest in it from an optimization standpoint. You need to learn from what's happening in that space, what your consumers are asking for and what they're demanding, and then continuously provide around that. Um, a true metaverse strategy requires commitment. And we're seeing more brands, I mentioned this before, like Nike, McDonald's, but also Walmart and a, and a lot of other the QSR brands who are filing patents and trademarks and proactively staking a claim to their corner of the metaverse. And I think that the last bit I would say is that every marketer has to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? And there's, there's a lot of reasons why I say that, but ultimately this is a brave new world 
And tomorrow's best practices and tomorrow's watchouts are being written today. So it takes a little bit of courage to get out there and to try new things and to experiment. And you have to be willing to learn and learn from those mistakes and continuously optimize. So Jason, you mentioned uh, that there were several brands. You mentioned several brands that are in there have made the choice that we are going to stake this claim. If we're going to fall on our face, we're going to do it on the way to being one of the first people into this brave new world. Uh, is there a case study in particular that you find inspiring that, that might really kind of light our uh, listeners' uh, brains on fire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I look, you, you can't open up uh, Adweek or AdAge or any of the other trades um, without seeing various case studies and the latest execution and all that, you know, going on. But um, there's a few that have really kind of jumped out at me that I, that I love to share when, when talking about this subject. Um, the first is the island resort of Sentosa, which is on the southern side of Singapore. Um, and there's a great two minute like case study video on YouTube if you go and find it. But um, at the height of the pandemic in 2020, before we even were coining it the metaverse, right? They had an obviously huge problem. They're, they're a resort town, they're a vacation resort and no one's traveling, right? So to combat this and to stay relevant and to make sure they stayed top of mind. So when things did return to normal, um, they empowered a small team with a handful of Nintendo Switches, the little gaming platforms and set them off to recreate the entire island resort within the world of Animal Crossing. This is a kind of an open wow. world resource and build game that exists within Nintendo, right? It's got something like 11 million monthly active users. I think the last time I, I checked, that was about right. Um, and what they did is they, they recreated all of the attractions and the beach bars and the, the various rides and excursions and things of that nature that exist in the resort in this virtual replica. Uh, and it it took about 12 days for them to build, which actually isn't a lot of time to go and recreate this, right? I was about um, to say, that sounds impressive. Super impressive. And if you watch the case study video, it's really cool because in order to build it, they had to harvest the resources themselves in the game. So they're like mining the rocks and harvesting the fruit and the, and the wood and all the thing in order to build out this experience. And so they had a team of gamers. I wish I could get paid to do this. This would be awesome. Oh, a team oh of goodness. gamers to help pull this off, right? So when the, when, the, when the virtual resort finally opened up, like it booked out, I'm not sure exactly how they managed the bookings for this, but it booked out like immediately and it became all the rage amongst all these different gaming publications. Um, but the real success of this story comes from when a uh, Condé Nast travel journalist found out about it and asked for an invite to the resort, right? And they wanted to write a review as if it was a real world destination. And that just skyrocketed from there, right? Like they got massive PR out of this whole thing, so much so that like other brands started to want to play in this space. So then all these airline brands started to talk about how they'll fly you there, right? Um, and then like, you know, not, not only these other brands, but even like travel planners were giving like virtual tours of the island. And then even, even consumers, even the players were getting in on the fun so much so that they were hosting like birthday parties there. And there was a couple that actually got married at Sentosa Resort in Animal Crossing, right? Oh my God. <laughs> Love it or hate it. The point is, this is what consumers wanted. This is how they wanted to engage the brand and the brand gave them that opportunity, right? So it might sound a little cliche to you and I or a little goofy to like get married in Animal Crossing, but that's what these people wanted to do. And it created a super compelling story that I just think is, is so awesome, right? So it's a great example of a brand facing a very clear business challenge and then committing to servicing the needs of their consumers. They just happened to do so in this like fully immersive and exciting virtual experience. So that's, that's one of my favorite case studies for sure. For good reason. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't hit on one of the top dogs that are playing in the space. Nike um, is, is quickly becoming one of the, one of the top pioneers when it comes to metaverse experiences. They've been filing patents and scooping up um, trademarks actually since 2019, but have recently done that a lot uh, recently. They've also been hiring internal teams of 3D designers and blockchain engineers, and then they acquired uh, Artifact Studios recently as well, who is helping them to design and build basically crypto kicks, right? Like virtual sneakers uh, as NFTs. They also recently just, uh, I think it was in January, launched Nike Land. And this is like a virtual bespoke playland, massive, built in the gaming platform Roblox. It's, um, it's basically a setup or a replica of their world headquarters. 
And then it's just surrounded by countless sports fields and, and running tracks and, and basketball courts. And some of the games are real and some of them are completely fantasy games. And it's, it's this massive playland, right? So Nike understands its con consumer around movement, around fun, around engagement, around competition. And they created this virtual experience, this in-game experience. So I haven't played this game myself, but from what I understand, you can link your mobile device to the in-game experience and use your phone's accelerometer to transfer your offline movement to in-game play, right? So as example, like you can move the device and, and your body in real life to pull off cool in-game moves like long jumps and like speed runs and things of that nature, right? Kind of seems like reminiscent of the power pad if you had one of those when you were really right, young. Right, right, yeah. Right, exactly, right? But now you're using these, these technological devices to kind of mimic that whole experience in the, in the, in the virtual world. So kudos to Nike. They're, um, you know, they're really gearing up. Um, you're seeing they're making that long-term commitment, not only in the experiences that they're creating, but also in, in filing the, the, you know, the, or, optimizing their backend when it comes to their teams and their trademarks and things of that nature. And we're seeing more and more brands. We're seeing more stories come out like that on the regular. Um, but I, I have one more case study that I want to share with you. Um, certainly there are, like I said before, dozens of brands who are making big PR splashes in this space. A lot of them are fashion. A lot of them are luxury. You're going to find plenty from sports and entertainment brands. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier. A lot of fast food brands are playing in this space and, and filing patents for virtual delivery uh, of their goods. Um, Really, any brand that has strong IP has a distinct advantage in this space, right? So you can also look at the likes of like Disney and Marvel and Star Wars and DC and the others. Any brands that have that strong IP where consumers are already wanting to engage, great opportunity in the metaverse. But this last case study actually comes from John Deere Farming Equipment, which may just be about the last one that you would expect to play in this space. Um, but if you haven't seen it before, go, go Google it, go check it out. They partnered up with Minecraft last year to develop a custom gaming experience called Farmcraft, right? And the whole point here is to give players, basically young aspiring farmers, an introduction to modern uh, agriculture through the use of their machines, of their equipment, right? And the processes and the decisions that go into farming. So they're literally inspiring these young individuals through gameplay about the industry and about their brand and their technology. So how can you not fall in love with that type of approach? And the reason why I love this case study is because it's so different than all the other ones that are out there, right? And it mm -hmm. proves that any brand really can play in this space. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right connection with your consumers, right? You don't have to be a big name brand. You don't have to be a, a, a very popular consumer facing brand. Pfizer's another example. They partnered up with Grand Theft Auto in Brazil to help promote the taking of the vaccine. Um, so there was an in-game mission where you had to take your character and go get vaccinated in order to unlock additional rewards and opportunities. So like every brand can play in the metaverse. It's just a matter of finding the, the way to connect with your consumers in a meaningful way to really kind of move the needle. That's just incredible. I mean, that is a, uh, just to kind of show really the end to end of what you could be doing right now. So I'm going to kind of tweak this last question and I'm confident you're going to kill it regardless. Uh, we've talked a lot about the general mindset, the general strategy. I think we've got a pretty good handle on the overarching mindset that, uh, you know, marketers should uh, approach with any innovation, but particularly the metaverse. And you just touched on it a little bit, but for a brand that, is maybe midsize that the the budget they, they hear things like this and the first thing they do is laugh. Where right now, where should their heads be at? What is the strategy when you don't necessarily have the the budget? Is it you know it could just be do you sit and wait until there are more like you know like an AR creator like when somebody has an open process where you can maybe build and test for not a huge amount when you don't have the money right now, where should your head be at? Where should your activity? That's a really good question. And, and I like the spin that you put on it too, because there is an investment component to that, right? Where do you put the money? And I've, I've been asked similar question, but in a different way in the past, how do we, how do we pay for this? Right. And there's kind of two ways that, that all brands should be looking at this. You're either a, making a metaverse execution a part of your commitment to your financial commitment to whatever initiative plans you already have in place, right? Oh, hey, holiday season's coming up. I know I'm going to do social online video, TVC, and some sort of e-retail you know, uh, activation. Uh, is there a way that you can carve off a portion of that budget to go and do something in the metaverse so that you can start to explore? 
But again, you need to have purpose behind your execution. So you need to understand why you're playing in this space and why it's unique and why it's going to deliver something more than what you can already deliver to your consumers today in a meaningful way that's also going to result in business results. So you need to figure out what that additional layer of engagement is that's going to be meaningful and then determine if you're going to go and invest in it. The other way to invest in this is to, as a part of your overall marketing budget, carve out a specific piece specifically for innovation and exploration and experimentation and make the metaverse a part of that, right? Um, I've seen some brands, even big brands, you know, Taco Bell and Burger King play around with the NFTs and they did small executions. You know, I think... Um, Taco Bell, when they first played in that space, I think they only developed something like eight NFTs. And, and when they sold them, it was just for a couple of thousand dollars each. And they donated all that money to their foundation, right? A, a nonprofit uh, arm of their organization. So there are ways to, to do these small tests and learns um, and to kind of play in this space. I think the other big piece of advice that I would give is to think beyond advertising and to start to think mm -hmm. about all consumer touch points or all audience touch points. It might not even be just your consumers that you're engaging with. It could be your employees. It could be recruits. How can you leverage the metaverse to go and recruit new talent to join your organization, right? And it might not require a heavy investment to go and play in that space, right? On social, I didn't need to build anything to create my business page but I did need to invest time and energy into being present on that business page. I needed to respond to consumers. I needed to create the content that existed there, right? Imagine if I did something similar in Decentraland, right? We've seen a couple of brands and yes, you have to pay for the parcel of land and yes, that can get pricey. But just as an example, Samsung and Miller Lite both created experiences there and set up shop and, and are experimenting in that space. Is there a cheaper version of that that a midsize or smaller brand could play? And I'm certain there is. Are there other various ways that you can go and, and create a, your little corner within a, a Minecraft or within a Roblox that doesn't require a big investment? I'm sure there is. It's just a matter of finding different ways to connect with your target audiences, right? So a couple of questions, I, I won't give you the full list, but a couple of questions that marketers that can start to ask themselves, right? What IP do you have? How can you start to leverage it? Why is it meaningful to consumers? And how can you translate that into some sort of virtual experience? Um, how can you empower and encourage co-creation within the metaverse? We talked before about identity and interactivity, right? We haven't seen a whole lot of UGC yet when it comes to the metaverse, or at least I haven't, but I'm curious about where that component will come into play and how brands really fuel that. And I think that's one big untapped area. Um, so how can you empower creators? How can you work with in-world influencers, right? We're going to see a whole new world of KOLs and, um, and influencers playing in this space, right? So how can you leverage them to help get your word out and to, to, to create interesting experiences? What kind of community can you build and foster and nurture? What lessons can you teach? Ally Bank set up a shop in, in Animal Crossing as well, I think before Santosa, just, uh, just to deliver financial education. So they just allowed consumers to come in and play the game and say, hey, I'm curious about what it takes to set up a, a bank account, right? And so they just leveraged it as another channel to kind of reach out there. So, you know, without going into an exhaustive list of, of questions, I, I think it's just really important to take a step back, think beyond just advertising and look at the totality of marketing touch points that exist and ask yourself, are there ways that these type of immersive virtual experiences can be leveraged to help me expand my brand and drive deeper engagement with my end users. Jason, this is definitely, I'm calling it right now. This is a listen over. This is a, we hit the end, you start again, um, because there is just a lot to unpack and a lot of great things to take on your way uh, into this metaverse. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to do a little bit of a left-hand turn in the podcast and shoot you some questions that we ask all of our guests, if that's yeah. cool with you. Please, yeah, by all means. All righty. So what are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Look, from a business perspective, we've definitely witnessed more and more brands making DEI a, a priority, which is great. Um, in, and that's both within their own four walls, as well as holding their agency partners accountable as well, right? And it's, it's no longer enough for brands to just like tweet about their support of Black History Month or change their profile picture to a rainbow flag during June and then immediately change it back on July 1. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, you can't just put on that DEI face when it's convenient. Consumers are seeing through that. 
Um, and actually there was a big, I don't want to call it a big outcry, but I think there was a rightful acknowledgement that the diversity that we saw in last year's Super Bowl did not make as large of an appearance this year in, in the um, advertising world, right? So we're starting to see the slippage back to the old ways of working. And I, I, I think that's a little disappointing. Um, so I would encourage all brands to continuously, you know, keep focus on that and renew their efforts so that they're bringing in really diverse and, and thoughtful talent um, and holding their uh, partners accountable as well, right? At R3, we include qualitative and quantitative assessments of agencies around the DEI space on behalf of our, of our clients when it comes time to evaluating different agencies. Um, so that's everything at looking at like their staffing plans and understanding what the diversity mix looks like, not in to just in totality, but also at that senior leadership level. There's still a big lack of diversity in a lot of these agencies and organizations at the top. So we're looking for those partners that have made strong commitments to starting to inject that at all levels within the organization. We also look at their operations and their internal policies. And does that jive, does that match with what um, the brands are doing and what they're looking for in, in their partners? Uh, and then also other integrations and partnerships, right? So we, we do look closely at this space. It's very important in almost every client that we run a, a agency search project for has this now baked into the, to the overall process because it's a, it's a big priority for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I love that we talk about cultural matches between brands and agencies, and that's not just the two groups of people who meet to have the RFPs at the like second round, you need to know that that culture goes up, down all around that industry. Exactly. So I think that that's a- Exactly, 100%. All right, so before we go out into the deep water, uh, <laughs> if people are loving what they're hearing, want to know more about R3, know more about you, where can they go find you? Oh, great, yeah, yeah. And look, you can hit me up directly at jason at r3.com. Uh, you can also go to r3.com and hit us up there. We've got a huge amount of industry white papers, uh, books, blogs, reports, uh, the whole nine yards. Uh, we, we actually invest a fair amount of our uh, revenue into that kind of generating thought leadership in that space. Um, and if there is a marketing challenge that you've been faced with from procurement to media to MarTech, uh, we probably have some, some sort of white paper available. And if not, message me, uh, message my, my colleague, Dave at r3.com, uh, who's our uh, EVP of growth. Um, either one of us would be more than happy to chat with you about what we have available. I'm sure we've got some thought leadership that could be very useful. But um, look, you know, with any of these things, um, the, the first step is just a conversation and we're always here and available to, to any, any of the folks that are out there. We love it. We love it. And R3 has been, uh, since the inception of Marketing Futures, one of our very good friends uh, and been there through some, some, some big time. So we're really glad to finally uh, get R3 on the pod. And it, I mean, the, the subject couldn't be more relevant, couldn't be more timely. So good vibes all over the place. But Jason, are you ready? Are you ready for the, the, the we're, we're done being civil. We were Let's nice up to this point. It's been a delight. We got to get real. Jason Villacat, EVP of digital for R3. What is your favorite album of all time and why? You know how hard that question is, right? I do. Yeah, like that's, it's not, it's not even fair actually. Um, favorite album of all time, okay. I would have to say, because we're talking album and not just songs, I would have Correct. to say front to back Daft Punk homework. Yeah, which I, feel is, which I feel is fitting for a, a digital strategist, right? Like it kind of has that right vibe. Um, I can't tell you how many times I listened to that album over the years uh, when I was younger and, and even more recently. It's great for deck building. It's just that mindless, hardcore, uh, you know, kind of trance beat in the background. So like it's really good for just uh, for driving that focus. Um, in addition to that, uh, I'd say anything Jay-Z, anything Justin Timberlake. Mm -hmm. Anything, uh, run the jewels, all of those. Oh, are, yes, are let's welcome. go. Yep. Uh, I'd say Black Pumas is probably one of my new, um, more recent favorite bands. Uh, so I'm going to go see them in Boston in a couple of weeks. So I'm looking oh, forward man. to that. But, I but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you my all time favorite song, which is You Can Call Me Out by Paul Simon. Oh, yes. Okay. We're like, we're besties now. There we uh, go. You, you just you just mentioned Call Me Al and Run the Jewels within like 15 seconds of yes, each other. Sir. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean that that song, that video, that bass, the video. that bass 
Oh. Yeah, it's just all delightful. Uh, so, and I'm glad you called that out. I'm glad you called that out. But we did get a number one, and that's the important yep. thing. I'm proud of you, Jason. You did great. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to chill it out now for one last question. We're going to bring okay. it up to the, uh, the present day. What are you listening to now, uh, be it an artist, a song, a podcast, or you're reading a book that's really interesting? What's, what's revving your engine these days? You know, I get, I get asked this a lot. I have a lot of people that are constantly asking me, what podcast are you listening to? What podcast? The reality is I'm, I'm a visual learner, uh, and I'm not as good at absorbing content via audio. Um, so I don't actually spend a lot of time listening to, to that kind of stuff. I, I do enjoy listening to music, but not in terms of driving my own education. But I do love to read. And because I'm a digital guy, I'm staring at screens all day long. I think every room in my house has some sort of device or screen. Um, so when it comes to reading, I very much appreciate the feel of a real book and, and having the, the pages to flip, right? I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, so uh, the book that I'm currently reading is The Handbook for the Recently Deceased. Why is that familiar? I, um... it, it's, a, it's a manual for ghosts, but it reads like stereo instructions. Oh, yes, that's right. Okay. Beetle I was like, uh, yeah, okay. I was trying to think. Yeah, it's from, okay. Now it's, it's, it's from Beetlejuice, yeah. Now, um, that's that's not actually a real book, but it is a great oh, journal. And I bought one for my coffee table just to have it as a uh, as a conversation piece. Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Uh, the, the book that I'm actually reading is called Humor Seriously, Why Humor is a Secret Weapon in Business and Life, right? And, it, and the, the premise of the book is that it takes aim at like the cold, stale interactions that permeate the corporate world. Um, and it, it really tries to empower the reader with tips and tricks gained from researching stand-up comics and comedy troops and, and the whatnot to be able to better build and nurture authentic relationships um, you know, in the workplace through that style of humor. So I think it's something that I already try to bring to the table myself, but having someone else tell me that this is the right approach uh, makes me feel good. So that's probably why I'm reading it. We love it. Well, yeah, no, it's immediately on my list because uh, it's the only way I'm any, anywhere. I, you know, if it wasn't yeah. funny, I'd be, God knows, under a bridge somewhere. <laughs> Jason, thank you so, so much for spending some time, for getting us smart on the metaverse. I think we're all ready to go into this brave new world a little more confident, a little more mindful, a little more thoughtful. So I appreciate you joining us on the Marketing Futures podcast. My man, it was a pleasure. Thank you so very much for having me, Michael. This is absolutely awesome. And, uh, you know, if anybody has any questions out there, don't hesitate to hit me up, jason at r3.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.